0: Madness goalie style. It's in goal radio the podcast as we sneak up on the National Hockey League trade deadline. And we're wondering: will there be trading of netminders in the next few days? Looking forward to the conversation with Glenn Chico Resch, a longtime National Hockey League goaltender, but most people of a certain age, probably only know him as a broadcaster. He is one of the most entertaining people that you can sit down and just have a conversation with, and it is a conversation. I uh, can't wait to get into it with uh, Chico as Kevin Woodley chats with the New Jersey Devil broadcaster, and uh, we will also size your pads and tell you how to get set up with those pillows on our gear segment. It's In Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com. Here are the co-founders of InGoal Magazine. Kevin Woodley, and David Hutchison, and happy belated St. Patrick's Day, Hutch.
1: And happy St. Patty's Day to you. I really enjoyed being able to see the Leafs in those beautiful green uniforms yesterday. I wish. Uh, and how about the Canucks warm up jerseys? Did you see those with the, uh, the O on everybody's nameplate? O Hughes, O Demco. Nice touch. <laughs> nice touch. And may, may have enjoyed a Kilkenny as I was watching some hockey.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if they liked that by the end of the night because they were 0 for everything against Alec Nedeljkovic. Oh, <laughs> bad,
0: bad omen. I always thought that the, uh, remember the Ottawa Senator sweaters uh, from a few years ago with the giant O uh, on the middle of it? Uh, Nick Kiprios used to say, that's a bad omen right there. Uh, starting the season with a big zero uh, on your chest. And, well, not uh, if maybe, you're a goalie. Maybe, maybe, yeah, good, good, good point, Um it, the players never look at it like a goalie's uh, perspective, though. You, you you know that.
1: Hey, I hate that they took away the rule that you could have zero or double zero. I wish that was still a number. John
0: Davidson, right? Yeah, he was zero. one. I,
1: I feel like Marty Baron for a little yep. bit had it yes, as well. Yes, he did. Yeah.
0: Definitely. I don't like it. Yeah, it was a foul. I always thought it was goofy, but I might be in the minority uh, in that. Uh, tiebreaker goes to Woody. Double zero. He's got two O's in his name, though, so he's, he's definitely going double zero.
2: And I'm also goofy, so I'm in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> double zero, okay, single zero, not okay.
3: Why do
1: you
2: think they took that away? I don't know. There was a reason, and now I can't remember. I think Kevin Weeks wore it at one point too. I think you might be right, yeah. So yeah. somebody, uh, somebody write in, let us know. Somebody leave a comment. There's, yeah, there's, a sto- there's, there's a story there, and I think I may have written it once. I had just too many pucks to the head, <laughs> too many pucks to the head since, and I can't remember.
1: Because he's now
0: double old old and he can't remember. Uh, yeah. We've got uh, a lot coming up uh, in the next little bit for you, but uh, want to chat about uh, the trade deadline right off the bat, guys. Uh, we've got a few days as we start uh, this recording uh, of this episode, and there's different theories, different uh, predictions. Uh, like the Edmonton Oilers have been two years that, that people have been clamoring or waiting uh, for Ken Holland to pull the trigger on a goaltending acquisition. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, so more so in the back half of of this season. Uh, with the the media pressure on what the their miners have gone through. And are they the the two main uh, teams that clubs are looking at for a goaltending upgrade, or are there others? Start with you, Woody.
2: Toronto, I don't know, because they keep insisting they're not, and yet I find that hard to believe, given everything else that's in place there and how poorly things have gone of late. And I know that Eric Schalgren has... According to the headlines at Sportsnet, after two starts, rapidly stabilized their weakest position. Um, I would caution that that's two starts. And if you watch some of them, as impressive as what he's done under the spotlight and glare of being the Maple Leafs goalie in that situation, um, I imagine there's got to be a lot of nerves. So I give him credit for that. But like, Those weren't performances that were like, oh, this guy's leading us to a cup. Like, even in the shutout, like, there's a lot of pucks that were on clear sight, long distance shots that didn't get swallowed up and actually ended up back out into dangerous areas. So, he had some help. And maybe some of that's nerves. Maybe he really will, you know, be our next Jordan Biddington and come in and and lead them to glory. Uh, But it's early. So, I I, I have trouble seeing how they're not in the market. Beyond that, uh, Washington is a team that we keep hearing. Obviously, Ilya Samsonov has. Um, had a lot of ups and downs this year. His last start against Edmonton, actually after making some posture changes specifically, um, was his best in a while. As a matter of fact, I had uh, other goalie coaches that watched that game comment on how it looked like he turned a corner. So it'd be very interesting to see if they give him another start to see if they if he can sort of repeat it. Otherwise, I think they're in the market. They may have just, maybe that there's just not enough trust there and they feel they need an upgrade. Vitek Vanacek's been really good But it feels almost like that's a team looking for a name, some history, some experience, some inspiration for the group from the back end. Um, Beyond that, like it's a pretty short list, right? Like all those teams that Colorado people are Colorado's in the market. Darcy Kemper's been great. Took him two months to figure out how to play behind the team, but he's been great. And then the name that I was talking about in the offseason to look out for. Um, after missing a full year, it took him a while to get his feet under him, but man, don't sleep on Pavel Francuse. He's been excellent in the games he's played as well there. So I don't see Colorado doing anything. Any 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 I'm missing here, Hutch?
1: No, I don't think so. I was thinking the same thing about Darcy Kemper and and don't forget Colorado invested a fair bit there. Like the sometimes the best move you make is the one that you don't make. Mm. And a a lot of people are getting mentioning Colorado like they need to plug a hole there or something, but I think the point that you made, Woody, that it took him two months to get used to playing there, like, I I keep thinking about Ryan Miller to St. Louis, and maybe Colorado decides they're going to upgrade and grab somebody else who might be a fancier name, but is it really an upgrade, and how long is it going to take him to figure out how to play in Colorado? I mean, I would love to have the opportunity as a goaltender to have that as a problem, figuring out how to play behind such a wagon of a team, but uh, I, I would be surprised if they pulled well you know what i don't know that i would be surprised if they pulled the trigger but I, i don't know that they should um i think it's a also a typical thing in hockey that people are always looking for the solution and always looking for one more move but in goal you know the the risk is so much it's what what a tough decision for any manager the risk is so high in either direction if you don't make the move and you need to uh the consequences are huge but if you make the move and it's the wrong one it's not like you can just put another winger in there and sit the guy on the bench for a little bit. When you put somebody in, uh, they're in for 60 minutes, presumably, or you've got a real problem. Uh, so it's, it's a really difficult time of year for a lot of teams.
0: Throw out two other teams, uh, Minnesota. I keep hearing whispers there that may do, they may do something, uh, to upgrade. And there's that relationship between Billy Garen and Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, and Vegas ha- is without Robin Leonard right now. Uh, don't know the status of Leonard's long-term uh, injury, uh, whether he's going to be out short-term, long-term. But he did dispute uh, a report that uh, that he had a fractured kneecap by yesterday, and was seen walking around the rink. Uh, he could be back sooner than later. Doesn't look like they're going to do anything uh, with the goaltender. And um, the the Washington Capitals uh, are it, everything points to flurry or nothing with the goaltender. Is, is kind of the way the message that I'm getting on that
1: as Woody said there's some good things happening in the Washington crease right now how many guys out there are available that really would for sure be an upgrade on that and I think yeah. that's the other side don't just look at the team that might have some needs but what's available that you can really go and get and uh, I think we're also in an age where teams are more willing to give the young guy that opportunity as we see in Toronto um hey did you see what um see what Logan Thompson said the other night? Was it last yeah. night after the game? Yeah. Love that. This is a big win for the goalie department. I know I haven't been great. And every goalie coach in their mom's basement has let me know that. Woody's in the basement, but it's not yeah. his mom's basement. It's not my mom's uh, basement. I was a little surprised
0: that he, he opened up to being, uh, hearing the noise. I love it. Quite frankly, but. Yeah.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, why are you on social media at all? If you're a high level athlete, I don't know. but. Uh, good on him to
0: spice up the game a little bit but he did use uh the impressive part he did use goalie department several times in his conversation uh, with his media session and i thought that that and i immediately went to uh my hat uh with, with in goal radio and thought that's really cool it's awesome
2: because yeah. you're a team like you're all trying to get through this together right yeah. you're not you're not individual you're not my it's
0: lauren Bersois, It's yeah. robin leonard it's your your whole department
2: Yeah, you're not fighting each other for starts. You're not battling to be the guy to fill in while Robin's out. You're all working together to solve this for the team. Like, that's the impression it gave me that camaraderie that you guys are all in this together. I I loved it. I I absolutely loved it.
1: While at the same time, taking it on himself, he, he didn't say, We haven't been great. He said, I haven't been great. So that's a great juxtaposition there.
2: And in fairness, like, in fairness, and I've said this before, like, Vegas leans heavily. On its goaltending. Mm-hmm. Good goaltending is not typically good enough in Vegas. Like the reality is they're a bottom third defensive team. When I look at all the numbers from ClearSight Analytics, like and in some categories, low bottom third, like low part of the league. They're a team that needed Vesna trophy level performances from Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Lehner. I mean, remember last year, back and forth, alternating starts, both of them so brilliant. Fleury winning the Vezina. A guy who's been a finalist in two of the last three years, like they, as good a team as they are, they have not been a great defensive team. They are a team that needs high, high level goaltending to have success. And now they've got all the injuries around them. I feel like it's, it's an even bigger requirement. Like they're not Toronto, they're not Washington. Those two teams are elite defensive teams that don't ask a lot of their goaltending. Vegas isn't that. Vegas, I'm not saying they're a bad team, but defense is not where the focus is. And so they lean heavily on their goaltenders. They need great performances. And as we evaluate that, which goalie's going to fit which team, it's a big question I have. We know Marc-Andre Fleury could go back to Vegas and plug right in because he knows the system and he's performed well in it. And I'm not saying, because I know Vegas has denied that they've even looked into that. But I'm not so sure. Washington or Toronto, where he wouldn't be busy, where he wouldn't see a lot of shots, It's that old Curtis Joseph question, right? Like Cujo was brilliant when he was busy, but the reality was he struggled more so when he went to Detroit and wasn't. And the expectations were different. The environment was different. The shot, not quality, but the quantity was different. Some guys need pucks to feel their way into games. Some guys need grade A's to get them going. As, As much as we think a better defensive team must be better for every goalie, it's not like everything in this position. It's not a universal rule. I don't know that Marc-Andre Fleury goes into Washington where he's only asked to make occasional saves, and we get the same guy that we saw in Vegas last year when he was asked to stop bullets in his teeth for the first four games against Minnesota in the playoffs. Like he was, what did he have, like 11 goals saved above expected the first four games in that series to help Vegas build a 3-1 lead. He was freaking brilliant. That's not not what they're going to ask of him in Washington or Toronto. And that's an adjustment. And there ain't a lot of time, as you said, Hutch, what, 20 games left in the season after the trade deadline? Most goalies tell you it takes 15 to 20 to get used to a team. You're not playing them all. That's why teams are hesitant to make these moves. It is so tough to know how goalie A is going to plug into Team X.
0: It is incredible how quickly things can change. A week ago, the hockey world didn't know who Eric Colgren was. Now, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the media, the fan base, are putting a lot of hope on a guy that's made two starts. And I don't know if you listen to this podcast a week from recording it, where Eric Cogren's going to be in the grand scheme of things. It's that fluid right now with Toronto. How about like same, maybe a little longer period,
2: but what about Edmonton? Like I, I do a weekly radio show in Edmonton by December. They were just done with Miko Koskinen done as a market and even as a guest on the radio show it was hard to not fall into that trap because all the questions and all the conversations like he had struggled and it's like okay we know what he is he can't be a number one even if he can but now look at what he's doing like his numbers over the last two months and especially over the last couple of weeks like he has taken that job arguably from mike smith and provided a stability under jay woodcroft that wasn't there before that I, when we talk about what teams are in the goalie market, I don't think they are, honestly. Because as much as people want to, you know, just a few weeks ago, they wanted him out of there. They just wanted, like, let Mike Smith play, bring up Stuart Skinner. We're done with Miko Koskinen. Yeah. And now Miko Koskinen's the guy, and Mike Smith is struggling to find his form, and Stuart Skinner's in the American Hockey League. Like, you're right. It can change like that. And, you know, in some ways, that's goaltending. In some, in the other ways, that's goaltending outside of a very, small handful of guys. And this is where I watched Andre Vasilevsky come in here last week. And we've had this discussion. Igor Shisterkin's having the best year. He's a Vezina favorite. And even I've been guilty of like, oh my God, Igor Shisterkin's the best goalie in the world right now. No, it's still Andre Vasilevsky because the level he has maintained for three years, consistent excellence is so hard to do in this league. We've seen it with Demko. We've seen it a little bit with Shisterkin. First time through the meat grinder, 82, travel. We're two-thirds of the way through the season. We've seen a couple of speed wobbles. Demko corrected himself last night nicely, by the way, but we've seen these little wobbles. To maintain that level, not just through your first full season as a number one, but for now three or four for Andre Vasileski while playing as many games as he does, man, like, he gets the crown right back. I just... Consistency is such a big part of this position, and there are very few, as you said, in a position that can change like that, that
0: manage to maintain a consistent level of excellence year after year after year. You mentioned that uh, fickleness with Koskinen in in Edmonton right now, and that's why I, I think that it'd be better off if they got somebody else in there because it's all it feels. Uh, when I listen to you or different media people talk that they tolerate Koskinen when he plays great and they just jump on him when he lets in a bad goal. And I don't know whether you can go through a playoff run like that. We're just almost waiting for the, for the bad goal to happen. And I feel bad for him uh, because of that, because it just, there's no, there's no long-term buy-in for him.
1: I think, what he said though, about consistency applies to what you just said about waiting for the bad goal. I mean, the advanced stats, to my knowledge, don't track a good goal versus a bad goal and the impact on a team. And I think we know very well that when that bad goal happens, it is so much worse for the morale of the team and by extension the market uh, than a really good goal. And they might be five goals against your resume. I don't know what the number is, but it can be so deflating and what that but does the, to the a I team. I told
0: you people in Edmonton are just, they, they, can't, they can't wait. We well, I mean, can't wait,
1: but it's also just deflating on the bench too, yeah, right? Like true. you're just oh crap. And so well, now we're not in that position of trust. Hey, apologies to Mike Smith though, as Woody said, now he's struggling to find his game. First star last night, stopped 27 of 28. Admittedly, it was the Buffalo Sabers, but uh, it's nice that they're getting a little stability from both those guys.
2: Yeah, and then that's and then again, like Mike Smith, a guy that they're like, okay, we're done with this guy. Like again, the market media, um, and he's still a guy who's one year removed from such a great season, like. What you know, if he finds his legs, I think there's a belief internally that he might still be their best option if he can get back to that form. And maybe that was the, maybe we saw the start of that last night. I'm not sure. The one thing I would say is, in a way, we can measure that. There's two questions, there's two parts here. One is, is the bad goal affecting the room? And you can probably see it, as you said, Hutch, you can see it on the bench, you can see those things, you can probably see it in how the team performs after that. But in Edmonton, I will, I do believe that Darren's right. Like sometimes it's not necessarily even a bad goal, but that media, because they've perhaps because they've said for weeks and months that this guy can't do it. As soon as it happens, it's like, see, I told you so sometimes when he gave up one the other day, that was a puck handling goal where him and Duncan Keith got mixed up behind the net. And it was like, see, see, well, guess what? If you know their system and you know the communication, that was on Duncan Keith. That was not on Miko Koskinen. But that market is so ready to jump on it. So you're right. So the question becomes, how much of it is the market versus the room? Like, we don't know where that is. I will say, to a degree, to a degree, we can measure bad goals. They're low percentage goals. And the reality is, Miko has given up more low percentage goals than any goalie in the league this year, 22. And the other statistic That tells us the impact of a low percentage goal is when your goalie gives one up, your team loses 87% of the time unless the guy at the other end reciprocates and gives up a stinker of his own. So to some degree, like it's not perfect and we can't, again, that's not going to measure the reaction on the bench and what it does to the room and what it does to the team. Um, but to some degree we can sort of take a look at the impact of those goals. But like I said, to credit to Miko Koskinen, those have dropped a lot. The majority of those were sort of pre-Christmas and he stabilized it a little bit. Um, there's some things in his post play he's cleaned up. He looks more comfortable with. Um, he's just, there, there are some elements, you know, I, Hey, let's be honest. If you're, if you're Miko Koskinen, it didn't matter how well you played when Dave Tippett was the coach because the crease was always going back to Mike Smith. And I got to think that weighed on him a little bit from a confidence standpoint. Like it didn't matter what he did. It wasn't going to be his. And now maybe the chance that maybe, you know, every mistake I make doesn't mean I sit on the bench for another week while Mike Smith goes out and gets every opportunity. It, and that, that in, on itself. So it's a really, at the end of the day, look at everything we've, it's such a fluid, no wonder it can change in a week. Look at how many factors there are. It is so fluid. And we're yeah. just talking about one situation we happen to know a little better. This is going on around the league with several teams, many of which have higher cup aspirations than the Edmonton Oilers, quite frankly, especially Toronto. So it's going to be a fun week to see what happens, who makes moves, who doesn't. And then a fun couple of months to see who pays for those moves one way or the other.
0: I have an exercise for you guys after we get an update on what's happening over at the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com at the source for sports Surrey
2: Well, We've talked the last couple of weeks about the new Vaughn SLR3 chest protector and pants. Um, Lots of new features. We talked about the tuck, the half tuck, the untuck. The half tuck was pretty fun. We got the new pants with the pro feature, double layer hip protection, as well as uh, a new removable redesigned inner belt. But if none of those new features speak to you, if you're not. Excited about them. I don't know why you would be. Or if maybe money's just a little tighter and you don't want to shell out full full pull. The SLR th- SLR2 models are now all marked down at the thehockeyshop.com. So you can get the SLR2 Pro Carbon Senior Chest and Arm Protector, which used to retail for $720 down to $575 Canadian. Remember, Canadian and Vaughn products will ship across the border, folks. So don't have to be shy about calling or checking out thehockeyshop.com and placing your Vaughn order, even if you're in the States. This one moves across the border. Uh, pro Carbon Senior Pants, marked down from 430 to 340 um, Then there's the Senior Pro Chest and Arm Protector without the Pro Carbon. It's down to 350 Senior Pro Pants, 223 like Intermediate Pants down to $200. So lots of options in the Vaughn SLR2 model on sale now. And of course, we've been talking about it for a few weeks. New things are coming in. Like it's that time of year we start to see new inventory. Uh, The true uh, Catalyst PX stick, 525, 535 grams. Lightest stick I've ever felt. Not a lot of flex in there, but super light. Um, They've got that as well, limited stock. Just make sure you check them out at the hockey shop if you happen to be here in Vancouver or in the lower mainland or at thehockeyshop.com. Check out the sales page. Check out the new product pages. There'll be more being added every week. Uh, SLR3, as we talked about, is there. And that also means great savings on SLR2. We'll
0: get into my exercise with David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. But the gear segment this week at the hockey shop, uh, thehockeyshop.com, source for Sports Surrey, is sizing your pads. And this used to be uh, a complicated process, and then it seemed to get easier. And now we're back to with different sizing and the plus one, plus anything. It, it it's back to being um, a little more, not challenging, but you got to put your, your work boots on to make sure you're dialed in. And you guys had some fun with it this week.
2: We did. That means I got to play dress up. <laughs> and anytime I get to play dress up, it's fun for me. A little less fun for Hutch in the editing process. We kind of put him to work here. A uh, little, little lengthy here. But I learned something. I learned something about how to measure your floor to knee or your ankle to knee courtesy of cam that i had no idea frankly this was new to me if cam is right then i've been doing it wrong all these years and i trust cam for getting the best fit and the best measurements that means probably a lot of people have been measuring their floor to knee or their ankle to knee wrong so when you're ordering online make sure you listen to what cam has to say to get the proper sizing for your leg pads. If you do it in person, well, let's let him explain what the difference is between in-person and online and how to get it right. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports. We're down here in Goalie Utopia with a bunch of... I got knee pads, skate, pants, all strewing about around me thanks to Cam. But I've got pads in front of me because today's segment is about fitting pads and according to my buddy Cam here you don't want to do it without all these other parts. At the bare minimum to properly fit your pads you're probably going to need a pair of skates. So while I lace them up Cam, you tell me why that's so important.
4: So to get a proper fitting especially for the knee, the toe ties, the skates, all very important to get that exact fit of where that knee is lining up. That's the most important aspect of fitting the pad. We can talk about thigh rises and things like that after, especially when we get into custom pads, we can obviously fit that up, you know, specifically for you. But that said, at the very least, skates, the ideal would be pants and knee pads.
2: Okay, we're set. Knee pads, pants, pants. Skates. skates.
4: Tell me why it's important. Again, we want to make sure I'm going to get this full fitment. So not only am I going to get a pretty accurate size of where he's at at the knees, this is going to give Kevin the entire feel for the pad. This is really going to help out with the entire fitting. So now, start with those toe ties. Please, they're important. Do not skip this step because the pad will shift and move incorrectly on your leg, which will give us a bit of a misread. Very important to do up those toe ties as well. Toe ties are on. Okay, we'll put the pad on. I don't know. i do it for you. Okay, stand on up. Let's have a look. Okay, so a couple initial things that I'm looking for overall with the pad. We'll start out with overall height. We can see here Kevin's got a bit of a gap between that and his overall cross line. So to me, I already see that potentially we might be able to go a little bit bigger in terms of overall thigh rise, but we'll see here in a timeout. What size is this, Cam? This is a thirty-four plus one. Okay. So normally Kevin wears a thirty-four plus two. So, so guess what? Cam actually sort of sized that pr- properly. All right. He might actually know what he's talking about. So what I do want you to do is take a goalie stance here for me. All right. Drop down to your butterfly. Let's see. Don't move at all once you drop down. Good. So as an entry level point. This is starting to give me a good read of what Kevin's specific needs are, how his hips rotate, his comfortability in that level of butterfly, and there's some very workable features here, and I think we're pretty close. So, Kevin, next thing I want you to do is kick your heels together. Don't move. Alright, so as we can see with the combo of the knee pad, where Kevin actually lines up is pretty good. I'm getting a little bit of that tip overlap with the actual knee pad itself, which tells me the center of his knee, which would be back here, very close to the center of that knee cradle. Now that's the fit we are looking for. Keep in mind as the growing child, things like that, we are going to want that knee just a little bit lower. So bottom center, not falling off the knee block by any means, but that will allow us to give some growth room inside the pad, which we'll show here in a sec. So we've already addressed that 34 is a good size for Kevin.
2: Which fits with what I've been wearing traditionally. Good,
4: good. So also within that too, we've also identified that he could use a little bit more thigh rise up top. So what my recommendation for this size of pad would be, I see that 34 is working. I would recommend either a half inch or an extra full inch on top of that so either 34 plus one and a half or even a 34 plus two form that would help him, a to get a little bit better five-fold closure and b when he was standing up we could see the pad was lining up
2: on him a little bit short do you want that pad to sort of come right up to the bottom of the crotch is that your ideal height for, bottom for crotch most? line that's correct
4: now that's a guideline not necessarily the rule some personal preference does come here into play Different pads are going to sit in a little bit of a different area. And just because a pad doesn't necessarily line up on that aspect of the thigh doesn't mean that you're not going to get a 5 fold closure. What I now would want to show you is, so say you were at home and unable to come in, I would want to show how you'd be able to quickly size this up at home and get a rough estimate of what size that you'll need. What you need to be able to size a set at home will be your floor-to-knee or ankle-to-knee and also a desired height measurement in terms of where you want it on the thigh. For the pad to line up. Soft tape measure, hard tape measure will work. Soft would be more preferred just because it's a little bit easier. Okay, so what I'm going to get Kevin to do, we're going to start with a floor-to-knee measurement first. I want you to give me a little bit of a lunge forward. I'm going to find the exact pivot point of where his knee is, which is right about there. I'm going to take my tape measure. I'm going to line it up right on the side of the knee and I'm going to wrap that around down to the floor. So if I look at Kevin's measurement, I get
2: about a 20.5. Hold on, hold, hold, time out. You're telling me you wrap it around? You don't around. just measure it the sa- on the inside? I go straight around to the side. Gives me more accurate measurement.
4: I did not know that. Lessons okay, from Cam. You also commonly see ankle to knee, which would be the exact same measurement in terms of its process. However, I'm going to be stopping at the ankle bone. So, 17 and a half. Alright, so now that I've got that measurement, Kevin, whereabouts do you normally like your pads to sit?
2: Well, as you said,
4: they should sit right around the crotch. Careful with that tape measure. Taking a measurement from that same pivot point. Again, do you want me flexed? I do want you a little bit flexed. I get about 10 inches. I want to come down probably a little bit from that. I would say about nine and a half would be your perfect fit. What does that all mean? Summing all that measurements up. Each company does have a sizing chart referencing what these measurements actually mean. So once you have that put together, you can plop that in and give you a rough estimate of where you line up. You want to confirm those measurements with me, you can always give me a call here at 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. I also have my charts. We can kind of line that up, see where you line up versus, you know, previous pad history, what you currently wear, what your preferences are. Quite a bit to this, so it's worth it to break it down. We can talk you through it and be able to figure out what pad
2: size for you. So Cam's walked you through the measurements. Obviously the ideal world, you put the skates on, you get to feel how the pad sits on top of the skates. You can see how the knee sits in the cradle. You can experience with and without knee pads, depending on your preference and how it integrates to the pants. But not everybody lives in a perfect world, much like goaltending, the environment can change. So if you've got to do it online, that's how you measure. I learned something new. I didn't know you wrapped around the leg. That's how you measure floor to knee. That's how you measure ankle to knee. Then you check it out online, but if you have any questions, call Cam, reach out to Cam, double check those numbers, and you'll make sure you get a pad that fits you properly, not just in terms of your knee landing in the cradle, but your preferences in terms of thigh rise. Cam, thank you so much for walking us through how to fit a goalie pad and letting me play dress up once again here at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. Thanks,
0: Cam. A lot of fun, a lot of jabs, uh, a lot of uh, technical advice in there. And that's why we encourage everybody to check out the director's cut on the YouTube <laughs> channel, right?
1: The director's cut. That makes me sound way too important <laughs> in all this. No, for sure. I, I did want to make the point, Darren, that. Uh, as, as everybody knows, every week we publish the video version of the gear segment as well. But I think this week, uh, above all others, it's really well worth going and checking it out. It's almost twice as long on the video. Uh, they fit two different brands, both a CCM and a Bauer, which you didn't hear on the, the video, and the differences between the two and why you might want to do things a little bit. Uh, just different things you're looking at. Obviously, that measurement thing is really difficult to translate to audio. Uh, so do have a YouTube channel. You can go find it on there, but underneath the publication of the podcast on, uh, ingolmag.com, we always have the video under there as well. Uh, so you can go and find it. Um, if you are on the YouTube channel, please hit like, please hit subscribe. That helps it get in front of more people. And we would really appreciate you doing
0: that. And failing all that, give Cam a call. Like the, he, he can walk you through this as oh, as Not much even as failing all that. Anything. Just call Cam yeah. no matter what. Yeah. And and he he wants you. To, he wants you to to call him. He he he's totally open and you're not bothering him and and this is this is a key part. You want to be as comfortable as possible uh with with I think pants you can fudge. Uh it's not ideal. Uh but but pads man. You're you're spending a lot of cash on this. You want it to fit perfectly, buddy.
2: Well, and I think parents too, especially, right? Especially if you got a growing child, you want to make sure, you know, what like what range can I go in terms of where my kid's knee is landing on that knee stack at the low end to start so that I give myself maximum growth as he grows up to the top of the knee stack before he needs something bigger, right? Cause as goalies, we know you got to land on that damn knee stack. It gets painful if you don't. So, um, make sure you give yourself, the last thing you want to do is order a set of pads, uh, and, and have them arrive and find out that, you know, the knee isn't landing on that knee stack. So proper measurements are important as we heard Cam talk about there. If it's in person, man, like he made me work for this. I'm old. I was tired. I was out of shape. He's got me lacing up new skates so that I can, you know, the pad sitting properly on the skates and I can measure that. It's important, right? Like if I go in there in my sock feet and put a pad like I was on originally, that's not, that pad's not sitting the way it would sit on a skate for me, um, There's a big
0: difference there. And and as much as I sort of like doing the whole toe tie, everything.
2: Yeah, I rolled my eyes at him when we had me play dress up the knee pads. I mean, I think you can maybe get away without the knee pads, but it's important. Again, I wear uh, the CCM Pro knee pads, a a bulkier, wider, more coverage, protective knee pad. Need to know that that's going to fit on that knee stack and how it's going to fit on that knee stack and the way that integrates into the pants. Like as much as I was not in the mood for dress up that morning. Normally, you know me like I go in there and pull everything off the walls and try it all on. I wasn't really in a Mr. Dress Up mood, but Cam pulled out the tickle trunk and uh, showed me just how important it is to put on all that gear before you try on your pads. And folks, there is a show for all you young ones out there called Mr. Dress Up. He had the tickle trunk. This is, relax. Oh, it's a Canadian show. So all our American listeners are, what the hell's wrong with Woody and tickle trunks? Folks, it's a real thing. Relax, relax. Nothing, nothing odd going on at the hockey shop with Cam's tickle trunk.
0: I was gonna follow up uh, before Hutch mentioned the Canadian part because I dropped uh, Mister Dress Up and Tickle Trunk on my radio show in Vegas, and my co-host looked at me like I had three heads and wondered what <laughs> where I was going with that.
2: And then yeah, so to, so before anybody calls guy. the FCC on us, like we're okay yeah. here. It's a real thing. Yeah, it
0: it, it it's, it's a real thing. It's Casey gotta be Kagan, on
2: there. Google Google it. YouTube. They gotta be for real.
0: They're awesome, dude. So we got Chico Resh uh, standing by. He's in the green room. Uh, ready to join us in the Sense Arena uh, feature interview on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Uh, Chico, just hold on uh, two seconds because I want to acknowledge uh, Carey Price being back on the ice. Uh, Hutch, we saw some some good movements, uh, a little bit uh, uh, more engaged movements by Carey Price. Loved the uh, love the setup too, uh, the, the kit setup. So uh, a little bit of uh, Carey Price uh, sighting. Who didn't love seeing Carey
1: Price out on the ice? A couple things stood out for me. One, how much everybody loved and reacted to just seeing a little bit of video of one of the best in the business moving around the crease. And it wasn't just welcome back. It's great to see a skating carry. It's just, uh, I I don't really love the term goalie porn, but it kind of was goalie porn. Just being able to watch him move so smoothly around the crease. uh, It was fantastic to watch. Uh, I think it's a point for young goaltenders. There wasn't anything fancy going on there, was there? It was just basic, basic movements and how important those are to your game all the way up to the highest levels. So fantastic to see him. Yes, the dark gear looks spectacular. I uh, hope he sticks with it. Um, probably won't. But uh, yeah, welcome back, Kerry. And let's uh, hope we get to see him uh, facing live ammo at some point soon.
2: But wait, did we notice one of the keys of his movement yesterday we pointed it out on social, at least on on Twitter. I probably should. Maybe I did. I added it to Instagram as well. The kick out as Kerry was moving. And he mm. has talked to us about this. Carter Hart, Kerry Price, like the importance of the crease movement. I know the kids don't. They want pucks. They want shots. They want dynamic drills with guys flying everywhere. Crease movement is your foundation. It's your anchor. Make sure you dial it in. Make sure you do it on a regular basis. Excited to say we've got a series coming up that will feature uh, – Buffalo Sabres, uh, goaltending development coach, Seamus Kotick, and uh, Uko Pekka Lukanen with a lot of crease movement drills here at Ingle Mag in the near future. But for now, make sure you go back and if you're an Ingle Premium subscriber, go back and check the archives. For all the crease movement stuff we have with Carey Price, for all the times he's talked about it, it's importance, And for the kick out. Instead of just going through the motions, flying from one spot to the other, before he recovers to a post, what does Carey Price typically do? When he's doing crease movement drills, he kicks out the pad in the direction where he's recovering to because that's the save he thinks he would be making to trigger that next step in his movement. So why would I push from the top of my crease to my left post without making a save first, without reacting to a rebound? Maybe not every time, because not every puck gets to you, but Carry takes care of those details. There's an article up at inglemag.com. It's actually linked on our IG Uh, homepage right now that'll take you to the Carey Price kickout, which is video of him doing it and video of Carey in person explaining why it's important to him and why it's important not to just go through the motions when you're doing crease movement, but do it with a purpose. And for Carey, that includes that little left pad kickout before he recovers to the left post that we saw so clearly in that video the other day.
0: So he simulates a save before he does the movement.
2: Right, because why else would you be moving back to your post?
0: That makes total sense. It, it it does, but I'm I'm just imagining all the kids in hockey schools and and just moving, doing all the crease movements without ever thinking about that. And I never thought of that either. Right, so. It
1: extends beyond carry too. You'll see a lot of goaltending coaches talk to a kid about why didn't you see the puck into your body in that crease movement drill? It's not necessarily even just a kick out, but yeah. uh, presumably we were imitating a skate uh excuse me a stick save happening there so why did you not watch that puck onto your stick and out that sort of puck in your mind uh if you just hit the ice and suddenly turn you're not preparing for what's going to happen in the game so yeah uh, there's
0: so many just trying to fly around and and slide around and get through the movement that you're not imagining a factoring in everything else that goes with it are yeah, you guys I'm, ready for my exercise
1: uh i'm a little nervous
0: let me do some, okay. My de- I got to go
2: foam roll and dynamic right. stretch if we're doing exercises.
0: And Chico Resch coming up, a uh, long time NHL goaltender and has been a broadcaster for uh, a couple of decades uh, now uh, as a broadcaster in the National Hockey League. Hey, he's going to join us in just a little bit. He's going to play uh, his own little game about who could play today, who could play in the National Hockey League today from eras gone by. And uh, that's going to be a fun one. But here's mine. Uh, who starts? For these teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs, if if we were going to go on right now,
1: Edmonton, Koskinen,
0: Mike Smith, okay, split there. How about well, Washington? I, I, I couldn't just agree with Hodge, right? Yeah, Washington, Samsonov. They like that way Vanek's playing.
1: Yeah, i just trying to. Guess I know. Who, I'm trying to guess who Woody won't guess. Marc Andre,
2: Marc Andre Fleury. <laughs>
0: there you
1: go. Nice. Top <laughs> rope, baby.
2: Coming off the top rope.
0: How about Dallas? Do they make the playoffs? Well, I'm, I'm assuming if, uh, if I'm asking this question hypothetically, they're in. <sighs> this, this is this not amazing?
2: Yeah, that one's tough.
0: That one's no, tough. Like there's th- three, and we're, we're, how about Toronto?
2: Jack Campbell. Okay. I,
1: I, I want the young kid, Chalgren. I just like a story. St. Louis. Ooh, that's a real tough one, isn't it?
0: Mm-hmm. Binner. That gap,
2: that gap is closed. I'm i going binner. As much as I'd love to just disagree with Hutch, I'm going binner too. We've had this conversation in the past. Florida? Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Assuming
1: how Spencer's,
0: played the, la- Spencer's yeah. played the last three games. Yeah, Bob's who, who not fin- healthy, he right finishes now. the series. Bob's not healthy, but he's backing up. Okay. Bob starts, but does he finish the series? Yeah. LA.
1: Patterson. Peterson. Peterson for sure. Peterson. Can't yeah, believe yeah, I yeah, called yeah. him Patterson. He's so did Swedish. I, as soon as you open your mouth. <laughs> Welcome to Vancouver. Ba-
2: ba-
0: Boston. Sway. Swayman. Swayman. Okay. That's I mean, he's he's just on a
2: heater. He's, like, you can pick both guys there in Boston, but Sway's
0: just on the kind of heater you can't ignore. How many teams make the Stanley Cup playoffs? Just uh, need to refresh my memory.
2: I believe that would be 16. Is that a trick question?
0: Well, nope, we've, nope. we've
2: had we've had ex, we've had expanded playoffs and all kinds of crazy crap last yep. few years.
0: we we'll yep. see it again one day. So 16 and that was eight teams that I just went went through where there's some mystery or at least want, a question. That's amazing.
2: It, do you want to know who really suffers in all this? Who? Me. How the
0: <laughs> hell? Oh, yeah, because you've got to do the scouting report. How the, yeah, we you supposed, answers.
2: how the hell am I supposed to do the pre-series scouting report? On half of these teams when we don't know who's going to play goal. Those things take weeks. How am I supposed to do that in advance? Think no. of
0: me. You should start now.
2: I normally do. I actually think, I actually, to be honest, guys, there was so much uncertainty last year in the playoffs and there is so much uncertainty this year that I'm not sure the project happens again just because of that. Because it really is impossible to do both. And there is that much uncertainty around the league in so That's many my of these places.
0: Just to prove a point a little exercise in in trying to illustrate how much uh fluidity there is in the national hockey league goaltending uh right now it's it's staggering and that that just includes teams that i think are going to make the playoffs or could make the playoffs dallas is uh, uh right there uh, there's there's other teams that my man if, if you said one game who starts there's franchises that aren't in a playoff position right now where we don't know who, who their best goaltender is. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a really interesting 18 months in National Hockey League crisis. Hutch.
1: To be fair, I wouldn't say that I answered that in who was their best goaltender. No, no, right? no. Because no. the question was who would start. And it was interesting yeah. what was going through my mind and I assume Woody's mind as well. Yeah. In some cases, the decision is a little tougher dallas los angeles because you see that there's a a well-proven veteran sitting there and you know that coaches are inclined to go with the veteran or st louis where they're going to go with a binner because he's got the cups no matter what uh, or the cop, no matter what huso does um in other cases the line is a little more blurry i mean uh boston for sure Allmark is the guy they brought in under the big bucks but he doesn't have that rep that johnny quick has for example right so those are difficult decisions uh but as always, guys, fascinating time of year. But looking forward to getting through Monday first and seeing what that brings.
0: Let's pause that and get into our feature interview brought to you by Sensarena. Chico Resch coming up, and uh, Chico from Moose Jaw to the National Hockey League, and uh, what a wild career! New York Islander uh, when he broke in, it was great, and uh, part of the early years of uh, of that team growing into a dynasty, and then had some stops along the way. And you don't meet Chico Resch where that guy doesn't have a smile on his face and is just eager to talk about anything uh, and uh, just get into it with you. Uh, and Sensorina VR bringing us our feature interview, Hutch.
1: Yeah. Super jealous of Woody this week, being able to interview Chico. Cause like you, I'm sure Darren, great memories growing up watching him play. And whenever we get somebody who played without a mask or with a fiberglass mask, it brings special memories for me. And I really uh gr- Love those opportunities to meet those guys and wish I could have been over in Vancouver this week with Woody. Um, But Sensarina, thank you very much, uh, as always, for bringing these feature interviews to uh, the Ingle Radio podcast. And I just want to give everybody a little heads up here about Sensarina. I think we might have a little secret tip. If you were interested in getting a hold of Sensarina, last week Woody made the point that they had this special deal going on that was going away, I think, March 13th. Uh, top secret if you're listening to this right now go check out the sensorina store that deal's still up on the store right now don't know if somebody's made a mistake and forgot to pull it down but it's on the store if you wanted to get sensorina today if you get an annual license you will get the oculus quest 2 for free so huge opportunity to get into sensorina wasn't supposed to still be up there so i would suggest that everybody go check it out now as always use that code IGM 50 uh, when you're checking out and you're going to get a little bit more money off as well. So super opportunity uh, should have been gone. Go grab it now. But uh sensorina guys um, gives you an opportunity as we talk sort of so many elite goaltending things here on the show. Sensorina gives you that opportunity to, to work with some of those high end skills in a way that you just can't on your own. You can't go out to the public's gate uh, if you're a younger goaltender working with your team, you're not getting a chance to do some of these high level skills and some of these high level things that SensArena lets you do. What am I talking about? I'm talking about screens. If you're a young goaltender, uh, you probably don't have a lot of teammates willing to stand in front of you in practice and take shots, but you can work on this essential skill because as you move up the ladder in hockey, all you see is more and more and more traffic. So the opportunity to work on screens in SensArena. Unparalleled, you don't get it in practice. The opportunity to read the releases of high-end players in a way that you don't on the ice today. Essential if you want to move up the ladder of hockey. Box control. You can't face those hundred mile an hour shots that Darren Millard faces in morning skates if you don't have solid box control. If you can't read how you are filling that space, but Sensorina gives you a tool that is not available to anyone on the ice. The virtual box control ropes that you can put up as you're doing drills on Sensarena help you learn where you are in the net and how you fill that space like you can't uh, on the ice. So many things that Sensarena brings to you guys. And again, only for in goal listeners who want to get over there right now. That sale was supposed to be gone, but it's still up. So go grab it while you can.
0: Awesome stuff. And you're right uh, about that uh, virtual box control. It just gives you such a, a, a great look at uh, your positioning and where you are and something that you you can take straight to the ice. Uh, Glenn Chico Resch rolled through Vancouver and Woody was there and ready to have a conversation.
2: Boys, have we come a long way. Virtual reality goaltending at elite yep. levels being used by elite level goaltenders to get ready to play in the National Hockey League. And we're going to talk to Chico Rush, who started playing goal in Saskatchewan, or actually in Regina, in his gumboots. In his boots. That was awesome. In his gumboots. The first full season playing in his boots. Some fantastic stories about temperature and weather, but not just stories about growing up in a different era and playing goal in a different era. There are 100%. I know we get this a little bit when we have some of the older generation, the guys who played in the past, people like, they love the stories, but they come here for the insights on how to get better as a goaltender. There are several from Chico Resch in this interview. Mindset, mental game, his experiences with Marty Berder. There is a lesson here from Marty Berder that every goalie can take home and use of any age. So, Uh, this was loaded. I didn't know what to expect. I just knew it was going to be entertaining because I'm a fan and I've listened to Chico over the years. I've been in the locker room when Marty was with the devils and back when we were allowed in the locker room, I'd go in there to see if I could get a couple minutes with Marty Berger, all keen, Kevin, you know, trying to get some quotes and Chico would already be in there talking to him. And I would just sit like a fly on the wall. Every once in a while, I'd pipe in with a question I had and listen to those two talk goaltending. And some of the lessons that he got from Marty are in this interview as well. As well as an anecdote about Billy Smith in terms of when he started focusing on a game that you will not believe. So enjoy it. Chico Resch was a true gem. And this is an interview that I know everyone will
0: love, as, hopefully, as much as I did having it. It's the feature interview brought to you by Sense Sensorina VR on In Radio, the podcast.
2: Really happy to welcome to the Ingle Radio podcast. We had last week. We had one New York legend, Henrik Lundqvist. <laughs> we got another New York area legend, Glenn Chico Resch. Thank you so much for joining me today um, in town with the Devils. What a pleasure for us to catch up with you. What uh, do you still enjoy, like traveling and getting to talk to the goalies?
3: And are, are you still enjoying that part of the position all these years later? Well, it is. I did TV for sixteen years when Lou Lamoriello was there. We couldn't fly commercial. We had a. I mean. Uh, charter. We had to get up. If there's a back to back sleep in that city, get up, go through the hotel and get to the next city. But now with the charter, it's made my life so much easier. And yeah, there's still so much excitement around hockey games that, yeah, I really enjoy it. The game has changed so much. I
2: wanted to get into some of the different themes from a goaltending perspective, because it's not the same as it was when you played it. But I'm wondering if there are things that still apply when you talk to these guys. I mean, and for years, talking to Marty Berdur, some of the mental lessons, some of the physical lessons, just some things that applied when you play that you think you could still teach some of these young guys.
3: Well, I've really had to watch the game to understand. You can't. There's not many techniques I can take from my era. I was thinking, Kevin, who could have played of the great goalies from my era? Patrick Waugh could have. Tony Esposito, Billy Smith couldn't, Grant Fuhrer could, Cujo, Curtis Joseph couldn't. I mean, if you aren't a strict butterfly, now you, you, that's the foundation. And it used to be more your skating, your challenging, pivoting, turning. Uh, but now, as you know, I couldn't play because of my size. It used to be you couldn't play if you were a, a small defenseman or a forward. But now there's many of those but there's not one goalie under six feet. So that's probably been the biggest thing about just trying to take up the space with your body. And whereas before we had to be, you know, more active and uh, uh, I don't know if if people would remember it here, but Timmy Thomas to me, Kevin put on the greatest display of goaltending when the Bruins beat the Vancouver Canucks. And if you look at tapes and, and video of that guy, he was out. He was across. He was like he was so active. I don't even know if he could play that way now. And he was the last of the real athletic uh, goalie that was an aggressive goalie that just challenged the shooters. And and it's all changed because as you know, Kevin, now the referees I've talked to them, the crease. If the goalie's in the crease and he gets touched, that can be interference. But if he's outside the crease, they're gonna say. I said so. A player could stand and cut off his avenue to go to one side or the other and, and not let him do that. Guy says, if he's outside the crease, yeah, I, he, he, they can do that. Which so, is
2: so ironic because I remember talking to Timmy and we had a chance to get to know him pretty well when, when he had those cup runs and got to watch that one in person here. Yeah. Although we should be hushed. Not everyone around here wants to remember <laughs> those days. Um, but he used to talk about getting there first. And if he got there first to his spot outside of the crease, that was his ice. And even though it was outside of the crease, it was his ice. And if you read it in the rule book, it's still supposed to be our ice if we get there first. I think
3: the interpretations change, do you think? Well, no, if you get there first, it's your ice. But if you've got to move to your right and there's an opposing player standing on the top of the crease, he doesn't have to move.
2: That's You can get
3: there but you can't get to the secondary position now. That's what I'm talking about. And so that's what makes it harder to get out. The guys, can't, guys have to play inside for the most part. They ha- exactly. They have to play inside the crease. And, um, you know, their, their skills, their hands are, are real good. But in today's game, it's, maybe it's always been this way, Kevin. The one thing I always say about goaltending, it's not the goals that are shot by you, that kill you or your team. It's the ones that go through you. I'm seeing a lot of like elbows, hips going through there and five holes tough. These guys are good shooters, but that's what I find. Even now, if I'm watching a goalie like Vasilevsky, you saw him here the other night. He was brilliant. Not, not many pucks go through him. That's why he's consistent. Not because, I mean, he's got great uh, by-hand coordination and all that, but he's not giving up those ones between. And you, you watch, even tonight, it's amazing how many goalies give up pucks through him.
2: Well, is that the, that's the cost of bigger goalies. We talked about no more smaller goalies, but the bigger the goalie, the bigger
3: the hole, especially if you make them move, right? Exactly. And especially through the five hole on the shootouts, you know, if you can get a goalie to move and he doesn't cheat, like we, uh, Thomas uh, Tatar scored a goal. And so did Jesper Bratt uh, the other night against Anaheim. Stolarts, tall kid. But they faked it. They went in close. They faked they were going to go through the five hole. He had gotten beat on the five hole in the game. So he said, I got to get down early. Well, when they did that and he went down, they faked, went around him, had an easy layup. So for tall goalies, plugging that five hole when the puck's in tight, not from top of the circle or out that area, but when you're in tight, that is a tough spot to jam. And and I was going to say, sorry,
2: I didn't mean to interrupt, but this goes back to the mental part because that's the battle as a goalie. I just got beat here. No, I can't commit too early. So for everything that's changed in the game, there's still that back and forth between shooters and a goaltender that will never change. There's always a bit of that mental battle.
3: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the biggest changes, as you know, the way they hug the post now. And all the forwards know it. No matter where you are in the ice, if you can hit that six-inch area up over each shoulder, they're down early. And if you hit it, most of the time you're going to score. Now, it's not easy to hit there, but that's almost a given on every play that the goalie will give you that. Now,
2: I want to go back a little bit. Well, maybe a little bit longer than that. Okay. How'd you fall in love with the position growing up in Saskatchewan? How did, how did you become a goaltender?
3: Well, I was in Regina and it was cold and I didn't love uh, being a goaltender. I didn't. But uh, the guy who ran the outdoor rink said, hey, one of the goalies didn't show up tonight. You want to be the goalie? I couldn't even skate. I said, well, yeah, but you know I can't skate and I have no equipment. Oh, don't worry. You can play in your rubber boots. And so I played the first year in my rubber boots, but he was, Jack was his name, kindly old shackman. man. He said, young man, I'll let you play the rest of this uh, season in your rubber boots. Like I'd go out with all my equipment.
2: And, and rubber
3: I'd, boots. And, and rubber boots. You're kidding and, me. No, and they, I wasn't the only one. There were a couple other goalies. Now outdoor
2: rink is Saskatchewan in the, like. In Regina. What are, we ta- what are we talking temperature here?
3: Oh, well, if the puck broke or it got to be about 15 below, either or. They cancel the game if the puck broke. Oh, it was, and you know, the prairies, the wind of howling. And there was just one indoor rink and, and the minor hockey in Regina didn't get that very often. Uh, so I didn't really like it, but you know, Kevin, there came a point where I thought people say I'm doing a good job. I'm sure they were just, they were just smoozing me saying, Hey, you're a good goalie. So I would play because that wasn't what I really wanted. And then I got to thinking, yeah. I'm not bad. I'm going to stay in goal. And that's kind of how it unfolded. But it wasn't a love affair for me. It really wasn't.
2: Did it ever become like, was there, a, was there a time where you said like you were good at it and you kept going? Was it a time where you developed a passion for the position? Do you have to have that to have the success you had in the National
3: Hockey League? Or was it more of a workman like job mentality? Chico? Oh, you, no, that's a great question. you got to have a passion. It's the it's separator now. you got to be obsessed. The same with me, though. I wasn't very natural at it. But here's what I can do. I'm a visual learner. I'm not an auditorial learner. You could tell me, Chico, why don't you do this and that? I wouldn't get it. But if you showed me, ah, so I could see how goalies were to play. And then I could say, well, that doesn't look like a high percentage play. And Rogi Vashon taught me that when I went to my first camp with Montreal. I said, Rogi's won the cup. I'm going to be an imitator. I was not an original guy. I didn't do things that were like, oh, I've never seen that. And so, it, the gate position never came easy for me. I played with Billy Smith and he won four cups and it came easy for him. Smitty had this instinct because he didn't even work that hard in practice, but he had this instinct when the game was on, what to do. I always had to be checking lists. Okay, are, are you bending your knees, right? You know, are, are your, your hands low, are your knee, you know, knees bent? And so it was always a lot of work for me. Now, obviously, I mean nowadays it's funny because
2: you talk about rubber boots. By that age, kids nowadays have got three goalie coaches and a sports psychologist. You're just watching other guys and learning from them. Did you like and I'm trying to do the math on career-wise, like there was no goalie coaches back then. And that's no. been an evolution of the position. So you wouldn't have had film to study. You just really had to watch guys when they were playing and take mental notes.
3: That was it. That was it. I'd go watch the Regina Pats. You know, and they had some goalies. I'd go watch like the senior league. They had senior leagues back then. But I've always done that. I've always said, if I work hard and I work smart and I can observe what's going on, I can reach a level of maybe not as good as that guy, like Rogi Vashon. I mean, Rogi, I I went to Montreal's training camp and we had practice. We had two practices a day and it was just scrimmage. So if I played against Rogi, I could see what he was doing and I'm making a checklist, boom, boom, boom. Then if he wasn't with me, he was going to play after me. I remember run across to the restaurant, in St. Catherine Street there at the old Montreal Forum, get something to eat and come back and eat in the stands and just watch Rogie, how he held his, his hands and moved his feet. And, and that's really all I did. I just imitated him.
2: Did you have guys that were willing to share with you at that time? Guys who became mentors, guys you played with or against that? as much as you were watching them and imitating them, were they working with you at all? Or was was that an era where it was kind of secretive? I was doing my thing and I didn't
3: want to share it with anyone else. It wasn't so much that, but nobody wanted to be a know-it-all. And then because now if I take you out and I put six NHL goalies on there and you get to see them for 10 seconds, you might not know who was who because they're all cookie cutter butterfly. But back in the old days, six guys out there, you'd say that's him, that's him, that's him. Because every style was unique I don't think some people goalie coaches wanted to cross over like I had Glenn Hall as my goalie coach uh and the last time we sat together on the bus was here in Vancouver um I was with the Colorado Rockies and I loved Glenn Hall but that Glenn Hall was an almost an original butterflyer he couldn't he just told me well get on your toes and I thought, I can't get on my toes like you did like he was if you watch us play So he really tried and with some mental things we worked on, but physically he he just really couldn't because it was so foreign to him. So it wasn't, well, you know what? Bernie Perrant, when I went to Philly, my last year with Ronnie Hextall and we went to the finals. Bernie was our goalie coach and Bernie told me some things. And I still remember saying to my wife, where was this guy? Well, he was playing against him. That's (laughs) where he was. But where was this guy when I needed him just what kind of things? Okay, like for instance, and you see it now. Everybody said, cover the short side. Okay, you can't, if you think you can take, well, I'll give them so much on this side and the exact on the other side, that's not going to work. You've got to say, guys, coming off the wing, I've got the short side physically, okay? So I don't have to worry about moving there or whatever. Now you can set up, Kevin, that the only place they can beat you is the other side. So you, you set your legs in motion, your weight to push off that way. So that was a one thing, but here's the biggest thing. And you watch, it happens today. let's say I'm on the left. If you're looking at the net, I'm on the right post. Okay. I got to go to my right to the other side. Okay. I got to move it laterally. What I would say, and Bernie said, if you're in a position on one side, don't overplay it because you're going to give up what you already had covered. And you think about it. If you're going Your momentum's going across, so you're giving the shooter the side that you're moving to, and it might seem like, oh, no, I got to get there in such a hurry, but your motion is going there. Your weight, everything's flowing there, so that's why Marty Brodeur was the best. That's why he'd make those glove saves, and you think, well, no, because he set it up. He said, shoot over there. If you shoot back, you're going to hit me, you know, and those are the types of things that I see. Now, I see a lot of goalies getting beat. Back where they came from. Against the grain, yeah. Against the grain. And you know why I learned that? Because Wayne Gretzky, uh, he never got a hat trick on me, Kevin. But he burnt me for a couple goals in a game, lots. But Wayne would come down. And he, if, if you're looking, if I'm looking out, he's coming off the left side. And Wayne would cut across, you know, inside the top of the circle. And then you'd get nervous. Well, he's going on my blocker side. I better get over there. But as soon as I started to push, boom, he'd shoot it off my... By my ear or my shoulder, he was so accurate. My, my point is, I finally said, so now when he comes down and he's going across, all I would say to myself, delay, delay, delay. Like, don't get sucked in to watching and flowing with him because he's going laterally. Don't, and... So you, and, you almost let, wanted to let him get ahead of you. Yes, because you wanted him to... Here's the thing. You want him to shoot where you want him to shoot. You don't want... Like you don't want him to shoot in your most difficult position, and if I'm going this way, it's an awkward move to go back and get the uh, the shot that sh- was shot right where I was standing. And you you can't be perfect in it, but I don't know if those types of things are being taught. But Bernie taught me those things, and you know I had a great last year, but I was just old, so <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't really use them for very long. But well, it's funny you mention that because I I think you know. I've had this conversation we had
2: Ryan Miller on recently after he retired too. And um, that art of sort of setting guys up to get them to, you know, they think they've got you, but you really, you know, you're trying to make them shoot in that spot. Like outside of maybe him and Marty, like there's not a
3: lot of guys that do that anymore. anymore. I don't know that anyone does, to be honest. No. And I wonder if forwards uh, realize this, maybe they do, that Kevin, nine out of 10 forwards. Okay. Let's say eight are going to shoot to their strength. They're not going to shoot where they take their time because these are the gifted ones. Take their time, slow it down. Look, where isn't the goalie? They're going to shoot to their strength. So once you start to know their strength is a, a coming across their body, you, you just don't move too quickly and you just set them up. And that's why in, in hockey, there's what? Maybe on a team, is there three really gifted goal scorers? The other ones are just up and down, banging away, going to the net. And so you just got to figure out all those, those idiosyncrasies and tendencies of the opposition. But then the great ones, they don't have tendencies. You think you can trick them into doing that, they'll counter because that's why they're the great ones.
2: After, after you've done your playing career, you did coach for one year, I believe, or you couple. were a bit of, couple years as a goalie coach before transitioning into broadcasting. Yeah. Was that What were some of the lessons that you would have shared with some of the goalies you had in those couple of years?
3: Well, one of the one of the my accomplishments as a goalie, I think, was a John a Casey. You might not even know him, but I he do. was a Minnesota guy. Yeah. and I liked John. He was from Northern Minnesota, but he was he saw things the world a little different. Okay, <laughs> this is what I say. You know, some goalies are really focused in, right? Like they're just gung ho. But then there's some skateboarder mentality. <laughs> some goalies have like the skateboard. Hey, I, you know. and so what I had to do with John was to figure out his strength that he wanted to do and go with that, like a poke check. And he loved to poke check. And I thought, I'm not going to take that away from him. But John, you got to make sure, and you can't like, anyway, I won't get into all of how you got a poke check, but if you don't do Another lost art, by the way. Huh? Another lost art, by the way. Oh, exactly. And it doesn't have to be, but anyway, so I worked with him- and I just, it was a mental thing. And we connected and we went to the sixth, yeah, sixth game against Pittsburgh that year in the finals. And, uh, and it was one of my greatest accomplishments. I went before, uh, the North stars every game and told them what they'd be looking at, at that other goalie and say, look at, you're going to be under pressure. Don't just just what I say to you, don't just shoot it where you think you want to shoot it. These will be the patterns. And, um, and and they were and then we won and except you know game six Mario Lemieux came back and well he's Mary he was Olemute. a difference maker <laughs> yeah
2: what um, that I mean that that sounds like you're at the cutting edge of like goalie coaching now it's I mean it's technical yeah it's mental psychological but it's also the other team the pre scout the work that goes into how do we beat the other guy it sounds like you were on the cutting edge of that in terms of giving them insights on how to beat was that something that had started happening among goalie coaches already, or were you? Do you think you're on the cutting edge there?
3: Well, here was where I was on the cutting edge. Uh, Bob Ganey was the coach. You remember him? He was oh, yeah. a bad player, little Hall of him. But Bob said, "Look, I want you to go in front of the uh, the other team. I mean, our team, and dissect exactly what the goal. He'd give me ten or fifteen minutes. It wasn't like, well, you know, he's weak on the blocker, so shoot on the blocker, or you know, he's not good along the ice or something. I got to develop some of the scenarios that would occur, and so." Slow your brain down and, and think of this when you're in this situation. And I think it could still happen today. But, I mean, the mental part, you see it, Kevin. I've seen how many goalies come and go. And I'm saying, that guy's going to be good. But mentally, I don't know why some goalies can't get it together. I don't. And, and they don't know. And they want to. And then others, like say just Curtis Joseph, he his style. But Curtis Joseph didn't even have a style. But his heart and, and Dominic Hasek, like, they because you would get on the ice. I remember some games, I'm crying, I'm so intense. And, and if I gave up a bad goal and we weren't good, I mean, it was almost too much. And my wife says to me and did at that time, could you leave some of that on the ice? Do you have to bring it home? All that <laughs> intensity. And I want to, but I would have never made it with, without that obsession of, just saying, I can't let them score. And, and you got to think you, you can't just, like I say, the one thing I just already said it, Kevin, but one of the biggest lies that people say in your business as well, you got to work hard. Oh yeah. You got to work hard, but there's 50 people working hard. You know what you got to do? You got to work hard, smart because they're working hard. You're working hard. But if you're working smarter, you're going to get the edge. And that's what I found with goaltending. You got to work smart or you're going to get lit up transition into the broadcast and you end up with, with
2: Marty pretty early on with the Devils. That relationship, I, I got to say, I was blessed a few times to be back when we were still in the locker room to walk into that locker room, hoping to grab a word with Marty and you and him would already be talking. And I remember just sitting back and listening hmm. every once in a while, maybe interjecting with a question, <laughs> but what an absolute pleasure to listen to you two talk about goaltending. How big a treat was that for you? For a guy that thought the game, at a level I'm not sure anybody does anymore. Because you, like you said, it's a little more cookie cutter now. Marty had a different yeah. approach.
3: Well, like I said, Marty grew up with the, the, with the hybrid, you know. He grew up when you were stand-up and butterfly. But I was telling you that today about the mental part. Like Marty, you know, like you can have goalies that are cocky, okay? You could. yeah, I'm good, I did it. Oh, okay, well, let's see if you're good. And then they go on the ice, and they're not as good as they think they are. But with Marty, uh, he was good. He had a great team that protected him. But what I noticed, he never got down. You know, like he didn't carry the baggage of giving up a bad goal or having a bad game. So this was, this was at the end of his career. I said, Marty, I've never asked you this. I got to ask you, how, you know, everybody will say to a goalie, right? Don't worry about the one that just went in, right? Just think of the future. Don't carry it with, you. it sounds good. It's easy to say, really hard to do. Exactly. And so here's what he just said. He said, and it was brilliant. He said, okay, I give up a goal. It's not a good goal. And, and then I will quickly, you know, because of the face-offs, I'll just quickly say, oh, let's see. Yeah, I was on my left foot. I should have been a little more on my right. I, I was leaning a little bit or my hands dropped. He figured out what the problem was and said, okay, I'm good enough. I'm not going to do that again. So that didn't weigh on him. And then the other thing he told me was, and you know what the other thing? I would give credit not to them personally, like, Hey, good shot. But in his mind, and this is, this is a big factor. I think if somebody really sniped them, it wasn't like some goalie say, Oh, you got to stop everyone. You got to, no, you're not going to stop every anyone. And you'll just get down. If you think you're going to stop them all, you got to pick and choose. And he he never was down because he said either it was a great shot or it was something I I had a glitch in, in my movement or whatever it was, but I figured it out. So that's not a problem either. I got no problems here. (laughs) And then he just go on. And mental,
2: as much as we look at the way he played the game style-wise, it was really his ability mentally that separated him.
3: Oh, yeah, because, you know, you could talk to him before the game. Yeah. You you remember that, Kevin. Because for me, I would have to be going over the checklist of, okay, I got to make sure I'm doing this. I got to focus. Like, he he had a moment Obviously, where the switch went on, like he really focused, but up until warm up or whatever, he's just, you know, he's just loose. And he's, you know, he said the other day, and and I don't want people to take this the wrong way because I I love Marty. And we've had a lot of injuries with New Jersey, okay? And so we had a fan fest and they were asking questions and they said, Marty, did you ever have to play (laughs) through injuries? He said, yeah, I had to sometimes. And well, how, how did you maneuver through them? And he looks at him and he says, Well, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but I always felt at 80% I was still better than most goalies. <laughs> and I just roared in the fa- it, it seemed like a real arrogant thing. But with Marty, it is who he was. Patrick Waugh. Self-belief matter. Like in a position that's all about
2: confidence, having some in yourself kinda kinda feels like it might be a good thing, no?
3: Exactly. Especially if you can back it up. Kevin, and, and he could. Dominic Koshick, like I got to know Dom. Dom was crazy. He was crazy in every area, whether it was on the ice. Uh, you know, Dwayne Rollins told me he went to a baseball game one time in Anaheim and he's eating hot dogs. I mean, Dom was all in, but he had that ability to turn the focus on when it was time. And that's, that's life. Like, you don't want to be focused and crazy all the time, but when it's game time, whether it's your job, my job, somebody else going to work somewhere, It's it's showtime, and you got to bring the focus and the work ethic.
2: Oh, it's funny. We Henrik last week talked about this—that intensity and that passion that he played with, like on the edge—and yet as his career evolved, learning how to sort of be relaxed within it and balance that, like intense but also relaxed. And it's a tough. That is a tough one to walk.
3: Well, uh, Johan Hedberg, was he a Vancouver? He was a Vancouver Canuck. I love the Moose. We know. Yeah, we know the Moose. So I was talking to the Moose and. And because he knew Johan and stuff, and I don't know, I mean, he knew Henrik Lundqvist. You know, I, I said to him, or we were just talking goaltending. He says, you know, you know, Henrik's wife said to me, you know, Moose Johan, could could you turn his intensity down a little? But then Johan said, no, that's who he is, and he played all out on the ice, and um, and you can't. You that's what I'm finding. You really have to take the mental approach of all people, kids, whatever. You can direct it, adjust it a little bit, but there's a core there that you cannot touch because that's what makes that person who they are. You could maneuver with it. And, and, you know, Lundquist was just all in. Curtis Joseph was halfway. There were a lot of guys. The only guy that wasn't, Billy Smith, I asked him one time, I said, Smitty, like, when do you get ready? He won four cups. He, he's one of the most unique guys. I said, Smitty, like, was it, you know, when we sit in the locker room before, you know, getting ready? No, no, I like, I uh, thought about anything but hockey. I said, okay, like, then maybe, maybe in warm up, right? Oh, no, I hated warm up. And he did. He, he hated warm up. I said, okay, well, then we come off after warm up and, you know, you got that, they're resurfacing. You got, you're getting, nope. I said, what? Okay. When we go out and he's being honest. When we go out for the national anthem, a lot of goalies, but all players like those moments of, of silence and they can think. And I says, that was it, right? That's when you got ready. Nope. I said, Smitty? He says, no, you know what I did? He said, referee blows a the whistle, they're circling. I'd pick one guy on their team. Say, I don't like that guy. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna take that guy out if I can. And you know the way Smitty played? Uh, yep. He, like, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. He, his deal was getting a little bit of dislike, call it hate, whatever you want to call it. I don't, I don't begrudge him. I don't judge him because he was one of the greats. But he needed that. Like that guy's going to try to take something from me, whether it's money. You know, you could say that, or he's going to make me look bad. And then he was just on fire. Everybody's
2: got to find their own thing,
3: right? Exactly. That's what and, it's
2: like playing the position. Like you said, you, all the guys, you could line them up and you could tell who they are by how they played. Yeah. There's no one way to, as much as they all look the same, there is still no one way to do this. I think that's what I love
3: about it. There's, yeah. There's little details. Everybody does differently. Well, well there is. There, there's still some little details, but where we don't know, and it's a big range, is internally. Right. You know what I mean? Mentally. Physically, like I've scouted for Ottawa and I scouted for Philly. I would look at goalies and I I could give you a list of guys. I thought that guy's guy's got a shot. Didn't even get close. And this guy came out of nowhere, but it's that internal, um, fire in your heart. And that for internal intelligence, your brain that will direct how good you become. Oh,
2: so well said. I do have one more. I want to ask before we let you go equipment. And I feel this like this (laughs) could be a big one, but, um, the stuff we talked about, the style, I think a lot of the style had to do with the fact that, you know, nowadays you can put your body behind a 90 mile an hour puck and not even blink. Back then, there was no protection. What, like, you lived through sort of evolution of the equipment no, it as it got better. Not quite to the point where, like, you were done before, every time you dropped, the pads rotated, right? Like, they butterfly
3: for you nowadays. Oh, geez, yeah.
2: But what was that like? Like, what, it was the fear factor was real back then,
3: was <sighs> it not? Do you know how many saves I made with my eyes closed? when somebody's going to whip, whip us, Bobby Hall, going to give me a slapper? Well, because um, first of all, you see goalies now actually trying to put their face in front of shots, okay? You couldn't do that with the old fiberglass mask. But now that's okay. But the biggest thing was, Kevin, when I played with Team Canada in 76, I had played in the minor leagues and I, I was a baby. Like I hated getting hurt. So I had gotten like say, a piece of a knee pad and I'd cut it. And I'd put it on my shoulder or I'd put it over my elbow because up until that point, it was just some foam, right? But that's, and I remember Jerry Cheever saw me in um, Team Team Canada and said, What are those things? I said, Jerry, we got to do it ourselves because no company is making any hard fiber to protect. protect and, And in the neck, you could get hit in the neck. And then, of course, you've heard this, but players would say, I mean, I'm in the locker room, the other goalie's playing well. I remember them saying, Hey, if you get on a bad angle, try to hit him in the head or up in the shoulder. You know, loosen him up a little. Get him to pull up. So it was part of the strategy. And then finally, uh, John Brown and some of the guys, I remember in the 80s, late 70s, 80s, it just took off. And then I helped design some of the um, the shoulder pads and pads. and. But you... Who'd you work with? Would you work with John Brown? Johnny Brown, group? yeah. Uh, and, and Greg, uh, he was the goalie guy goalie mass guy, Greg, I'm sorry, Greg. Oh, Greg Harrison. Greg Harrison. Of course. You know, so I'd worked with him, you know, and that was really, um, that was enjoyable, but you hit it on the head. The biggest reason that I would like to play now, it was hard to get a good butterfly because your knees would have to go right down on the ice. Well, you can't do that. Nobody can, but with these pads, now they got that big, thick pad on the knees. They almost flipped, like there's a chip in there that <laughs> flipped, right? Yeah,
2: it rotates and, perfectly.
3: Yep, and you you just got this perfect butterfly on the ice. Everybody does. Now, that does make the goalies more consistent, but it's not as much fun because you you could pick apart That guy's got a good butterfly or he's really weak, and you know who was the weakest? The Patal guys, John Davidson, Sean Burke. Because they couldn't get their knees down on the ice. Well, I remember uh, Mitch Korn telling us when, he, uh, from a scouting perspective,
2: he used to have a category, contortion ability. Like, can this guy contort and get his body? But nowadays, it's not even a part of the vocabulary because the pads do it for them.
3: Oh, exactly. That's been the biggest advance in goaltending to me, in, in the quality of um, the goaltending itself. But yet, you know what, what's funny, Kevin. There's still some goalies, like in hockey now, more than ever, goaltenders are the most, they win and lose more games than anybody. They're the biggest impact goalie. And you know, you got Vasilevsky. I'm just thinking, give me your top five that you think night after night make a difference. It's really hard to pick five even.
2: Well, and I think that's why Vasilevsky would be at the top of my list because not only has he been excellent, but he's been consistently excellent now for three years. The guy we've got here in Demko looks like he's on that path, but until you've done it for a full year and two and three, Three. Jacob Markstrom's just now into his third season, and he had one that was down, right? Yeah. You're right. Consistent excellence is really hard to do. I mean, that's why we loved the guys like Luongo here, Lundquist in New York. There was a consistency to their excellence. Marty.
3: Oh, they were always at the top. Oh, oh, absolutely, you know, and um, um, uh, Shosturkin, because I'm in New York, oh. and and I gotta tell you, I won't tell you who it is. You would know him. He's an announcer, and this is why I have trouble with New York. We're in there about ten days ago, and I was asking my friend, who's big time announcer, uh, how's this Shosturkin? I mean, I know he's good. He says he's the best puck handler I ever saw. I said, come on, better than Marty. Just because he's a ranger, you're blowing <laughs> him up. And uh, he, he is good, though. He can know. move it. He can he, definitely chuck it. But uh, the thing is, the same thing with Marty. And let's be honest, uh, Vasilevsky has played on arguably the best team, right? Which, it, it's every goalie. You know, here's another guy, Kenny Dryden, could never play. And he's 6'4". Kenny would have no chance. I don't know even if he would be, maybe, if he grew up that way, but, but Kenny had no butter he had like this one knee down. And so there's just a lot of guys, which is exciting. I think that could carry on. Like I said, uh, Tony Esposito, Glenn Hall going through the history, obviously Patrick Waugh and then the butterflies to follow, but there were a whole slew of goalies that would have to have changed dramatically to play in the butterfly era. Uh, But it doesn't matter because that was then and they were doing it the right way then. And now they're doing it a different way. And You know, you can't go back. I mean, I I think the game has gotten so soft. I say the NHL, no hit league. Like, Kevin, do never say, don't use the term greasy area or in the tough areas. There are none. You can go in front of the net and you can't be touched. And it's not the D's fault, you know? like you. it's called, yeah. That's just the way it is. I can
2: imagine some of the battles that you would have seen in your time. Oh, my goodness.
3: Oh, oh. I mean, well, did you see? Well, Billy
2: Smith, you played with Billy Smith for all those years. He probably initiated
3: half of them. Oh, he did. But did you see Matthews and and uh, Rasmussen? I think for Buffalo. Darlene, yeah, right, yeah, da- yeah, yeah. Yeah, da- I looked at that. I said, "Oh, right, that's old time." Not that you should cross check someone across a <laughs> net. the net. We don't want that. <laughs> but if but if you do, then you get punished. But you don't criticize and say, "Oh, he's just such an animal." No. People who are watching who haven't been that, on that intensity level, they don't understand how quickly your, your, your temper can snap or your nerves can snap. And last thing on that, I think Toronto is the most interesting team going in. And I think that's why Matthew Matthews did that. They have to get an edge to their game because they're going to get knocked out again. And then for them, who's going to be their goalie? They they're in a world of hurt there in between the pipes. Well, they can call Chico,
2: call Chico Rush. He might be able to find them a goalie. He's done it all. Played in the National Hockey League, got a Stanley Cup. You played for you played in Canada Cups for Canada and the USA. I forgot yeah, to ask that both I, I sides and a World Championships for the USA. Yeah,
3: yeah. I wanted to vote, and that's why I became an American citizen. Not not just to play hockey, but I remember my sisters were crying. How can you leave? They're all from Saskatchewan, and I said, sis, if I went to Newfoundland. I'd be farther away from you than I was just in Minnesota, but I wanted to vote. So I became American citizen. And um, So you
2: got a Canada Cup jersey, Team Canada, and one for Team USA at yeah, home. There's I not do. many
3: guys that can say that, Chico. Uh, I guess none, but I'm not a turncoat. I still love Canada. <laughs> just so that you listeners are saying, get him off the air. But yeah, it was, it was a great, great era of unpredictability. And, and now it's kind of pretty predictable, but that's okay. It's still a great game. And it's better when we have you calling it, Chico. Thanks
2: so much for spending the time with us and sharing some of the stories. Glad to have you back in Vancouver on the road with the Devils and calling these games and can't thank you enough for the time today.
3: Oh, you are so welcome. Is there any
2: more fun than talking goaltending? No. No, I consider myself lucky I get to do this for a living.
3: (laughs) Thanks, Kevin. I
0: completely forgot that uh, that he played for Team USA and Canada internationally. That's that's pretty neat. Uh, not many have done that.
2: Unheard of, I guess. Yeah, like pretty much. It's probably it's a damn short list. It might be it might be a list yeah. of one. And Brian uh,
0: Trotchy, I think, did it uh, uh, with the in, in the Canada Cups, but gold uh, or world championship. Uh, but but not many.
1: I think that he's one of the more underrated goaltenders of his era. I think he got overshadowed a little, a lot by Billy Smith on Long Island. And uh, I think people forget. For, for me, I had been thinking going into the interview, well, yeah, uh, underrated guy. I don't think people realize he played for Canada, that he was that level of a goaltender. And then to hear that he played for both countries just sort of put it over the top for me. Um, I was always a fan of guys like Chico um, guys like, uh, you know, Andy Moog, who played sort of second fiddle to Grant Fuhrer, the guys who are really outstanding goaltenders in an era when there weren't a lot of tandems, we were talking earlier, how there aren't as many sort of starter backup guys. Now it was just the reverse at the time. And the guys who could earn that opportunity, uh, in the era, uh, I was real, real fans of, and Chico was certainly near the top of that list for me.
2: He was an, he was, an N- he, was a, he was an NHL, like second team all-star twice. Won the Masterton Trophy in 81-82. Um, like he, had, he had some like really good years. Set the, set the Islanders' uh, um, shutout record when he was with the team with 25 shutouts. Was most in the franchise history at the time during his time there. Like He had an exceptional career as much as we know him as the character now. I think Hutch is right. He gets overlooked at times for how, how damn good he was as a goaltender. You're not on Canada Cup teams on either side of the border unless you can stop Puck.
0: I wonder how many games he's watched. Whether he was playing in them, backing up, or as a broadcaster on TV and radio, man, oh man,
2: that's all. I, yeah, all. I, I can't imagine. Yeah,
0: that's a pretty long list. A
2: couple years as a goalie coach too with the Flyers.
0: Oh, I forgot about that too. Didn't realize I, his Flyers mask was great. Just just popped to me. Uh, and, and that goes back to to that certain era. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, Chico's just a gem of a human being. And uh, and well done, Woody. Uh, thanks for bringing us out. Uh, loved it. Uh, we've got uh, a lot going on. Next week's episode, we'll be able to tell you who's where in the National Hockey League after the trade deadline. And uh, points in between could have uh, a couple of uh, different stops. And who's going to be playing goal for the Toronto Maple Leafs in a week? I don't know. Going to be a, a fun could be ride. Darren
1: Millard. You might get the call up. <laughs>
0: hey, hey, I'm not sure they know. Yeah, good, good point. Uh, and, and if they're being totally honest, uh, that's probably the, the correct answer the way things are, are going right now.
2: Before we sign off, if I could uh, just provide a little update on uh, Mr. Dress Up, Casey Finnegan, and the Tickle mm-hmm. Trunk. I can report that it is actually safe to search YouTube Tickle Trunk. Uh, I was a little nervous there when I said you can go look it up online about the kind of things that could come up, but uh, it is safe. You will find what the Tickle Trunk is for our American listeners that think I am absolutely off my rocker. It is a safe search. Well, you are. Tickle Trunk was a big part of my youth, Hutch.
1: Hey, hey, mine too, but I'm just saying regardless,
0: you're off your rocker. It doesn't really make a difference. So when I was at Sportsnet, we worked out of CBC the last few years and that treehouse, the Casey and Finnegan treehouse, was right at the entrance where I would go through security oh Saw it 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 every day oh was it was really cool the Jealous. Actual Jealous. Iconic. yeah iconic iconic so one time I I, I opened the uh, the secret door and where the puppeteer would would work the uh, the puppets and just got to look out uh, through the view of, of Casey and Finnegan
1: okay every podcast I know most of you listen to the podcast through your favorite podcast provider but go to ingolmag.com they're even if you're not a member they're unlocked and, uh, go to the podcast right up this week and you'll find a link to Woody's favorite childhood TV yeah. show on YouTube. I want to know how many of our American friends go and click on that and find out who Mr. Dressup was. We're not we might setting even start you start a whole resurgence for him.
0: Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's legit. Well, I, I think this is also a pretty good indication that it's time to say goodbye. Uh, <laughs> yeah. thanks for, uh, joining us. Chico Resh. uh, cam awesome job with the pad sizing and make sure you also, uh, use that uh, audio of the gear segment to motivate you to check out the YouTube video uh, of pad sizing. It's twice as long and really gets uh, into detail. And you can see what he talks about, about wrapping uh, around with the the tape measure. So uh, that'll just uh, set you up uh, for for that. And of course, Woody and Hutch for another awesome episode of bringing us uh, the intricacies of goaltending in this awesome journey in the sport that we love. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.